Amen. Thank you, ladies. Great song, great thought, great job. Aren't you glad that uh, Jesus is merciful? Some people have the wrong idea that church is a place where people go who have it all together. Uh, Church is a place where people go who want to be better than they are now. And so a healthy church is not only some people that have it together to some degree, we're supposed to have some people who don't have it together much at all. Amen? And find the mercy of Christ. Learn what a great God we have. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, this morning, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 441. Psalm 34, we have on Sunday mornings been working our way through a series of great truths communicated with simple words. And we, of course, by this time are well acquainted with the fact that uh, profound things are best understood when they are communicated to us through the vehicle of simplicity. In fact, any time someone attempts to communicate difficult things with, to us with difficult words, they are either misunderstood or sometimes not understood at all. And so with a list of 916 verses in our Bible that have all single-syllable words with the exception of names and numbers, I prayerfully put together a series of thoughts for Sunday mornings. And last Sunday morning, we talked together about how to find life. And in the simplest terms, God made sure we understand that all life in some way comes from Jesus Christ. Everlasting life is available through Jesus Christ. He died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Abundant life here and now is available to us through Jesus Christ. For any believer who will choose to live the way our God has taught us to live, there is abundance. And we encourage one another to trust God to know what produces a better life. Listen, we all have our own ideas of what produces a good life, and our world, of course, has its ideas of what produces a good life, and you and I are in the middle, and I hope we choose to trust God with our life. Amen? Amen. Today, we head back to the Old Testament for a simple truth that is repeated over and over and over again in both the Old Testament and New Testament. And though this is a simple statement, it is one of the Bible statements that is misunderstood and twisted at times. You see, to properly understand this statement, uh, we must have a proper understanding of the character of God. You see, if our character, if our view of God's character is unbalanced, we will never have a right view of this quality. You see, some people take the demonstration of God's holiness and justice and righteousness and conclude that God is mean or angry or unreasonable. In fact, both preachers and parents at times purposely overemphasize God's holiness, justice, and righteousness for fear that either their congregation or their children will carelessly and casually just sin and do their own thing. But anybody who thinks our Creator is only holy and just and righteous will always have an unbalanced view of God. Others take God demonstrating His love and mercy and grace as Him being soft, carefree, unconcerned about what is right and wrong. 
fact, some preachers and some parents purposely overemphasize God's love, mercy, and grace for fear that their congregation or their children won't like God. But anyone who thinks our Creator is only loving and merciful and kind and gracious will have an unbalanced view of God. You see, recognizing and accepting God our Creator for who He's revealed Himself to be is the first step away from American idolatry. To rightly understand the fear of God, we must rightly balance who our Creator has revealed Himself to be. In August of 2010, the Associated Press covered the story of a man named Ron Sweden of Brewster, Massachusetts. At that particular time, he was 75, his health was failing, he was having difficulty breathing, he had aggravated coughing spells, he went to the doctor, they tested him, and in his test there was what they described as an ominous dark spot in his lung. Well, Ron, like most people, he just concluded that he had cancer. He feared the worst. The doctors tried to talk some sense into him and say, listen, this is inconclusive. We need to do some more tests. But Ron was just going down the dark rat hole of his cancer, and he he was done. Well, when they went in to uh, do some surgery, exploratory surgery, and attempt to remove this, what they learned is that he had swallowed a P, P-E-A. It had gotten in his lung, and it had sprouted in the most environment of his lung. Now, Ron Sveden was greatly relieved to learn the certain doom he projected himself wouldn't come to pass. Some of our fears are unfounded. But a healthy fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Let me ask you this morning, do you have a healthy fear of God? Did you know that there are some kinds of fear of God for both believers and unbelievers that is unhealthy? If you're able to stand this morning, if you'd stand please in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought this morning is Fear Him to Rightly Follow Him. Fear Him to Rightly Follow Him. In your Bible, in Psalm chapter 34, we begin reading together there in verse 6. It says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Thank you. you might be seated. Like is the case in 73 of the 150 Psalms, the human pen in the hand of God was David, and you can see that in the intro to this psalm. It says a psalm of David. David One of the things he was very proud of in his life was the fact that he was the pen in God's hands for many of the psalms. In fact, on his deathbed, he called himself, quote, the sweet psalmist of Israel, according to 2 Samuel 23.1. 
You see, David was very thankful as he looked back over his life, not just at the emotional highs and lows that he had had that he describes in the Psalms, but he was a man who God used through all those emotional highs and lows, through some very big failures on a couple of occasions, and many times when he did great things, God used him in a great way to write songs that honored his Creator. And here, David reminds us as he begins that Jehovah our God is a God who hears and rescues his children. In verses 6 and 7, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You see, David had some times when he suffered greatly and it had nothing to do with anything he had done. Uh, But in those times when he suffered greatly and was troubled, when he had nothing to do with all his trouble, God heard him and saved him from his difficulties, and God gave him strength and grace. Other times, David suffered greatly from his own bad choices. But when David suffered from his own bad choices and he cried out to God, God heard him and saved him from his difficulties and gave him mercy and forgiveness. By the way, I'm glad our Creator is the only true and living God, and He is interested in us when we cry out to Him. By the way, I'm not implying God will always answer the way we want or immediately rescue us. I said He's always listening. In fact, what I would say to you this morning, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have cried out to Him, what you will experience is very often you will feel like, I'm not even sure God is listening. Listen, God's listening isn't evidenced by the fact that we feel something. God listening is evidenced by the fact that God said He was always listening to our cry. He hears our prayers. Now, because David knew God and he knew what God had done and what God was like, he rejoiced in God's goodness. And he does that in verse 8. He says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. See, David wasn't angry about the troubles he faced, either because of his own choices or the bad choices of others or just random things in life. He knew, even though God didn't always do what he wanted, that God was still good. And he trusted in the goodness of God. You see, that's the opposite of what most people do. Most people look around and they look at the troubles in their life and the things that happen in our world and they wrongly blame God for everything that happens. Most people are spiritually ignorant of the fact that our world is broken and it is the way it is because man did not want to live with God ruling. And when man says, God, I don't want you to rule me, God said, okay, you can have a world that is produced by somebody like you who doesn't want to live with my rules, and we live in that. And if that were not enough, that it was really man who's responsible for our world, I mean, understand that God is not the only force at work in our world. There is an active force for evil in our world. It is the arch enemy of our creator, Satan himself. But hear me when I say, it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance in our broken world. There's a lot of people, they they, they think that they want God to just smite anybody who defies Him. Did you ever 
stop and think that if God immediately killed those who defied Him, there wouldn't be very many of us left? See, what we really want, we don't want God to smite everybody that defies Him because we know there have been seasons in our life when we defied Him. What we want is God to smite those who defy Him when it's not us. But if God smote those who defied Him immediately, then understand that man would not be truly free. And God created, He made animals with instincts. You and I, we are truly free as what we do with our life and if or what we will believe. And we may not like the product of that, but that's the world in which we live. And in that world in which we live, God is good. And though each individual event in our life may not in itself be good, we have a God, a Creator, a Savior, who blends those things together, who individually might not be good to produce good in the end. And though it's not our thought this morning, I love verse 8, it's a invitation from a believer who is living an abundant life of faith. Taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> do, do you ever have anything that you love to eat and you're with somebody who's never tried it and you, you say, hey, taste it. It's good. That, that, that's what he's doing here. See, Dave, David challenges anyone within the sound of his words. Hey, l- listen, find out the glorious character of our Creator. Learn what His plan is for life. Taste and see, and you will conclude like I have, that God is good. I challenge you this morning, check out the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Check out the, God's plan for life. Check out God's plan for His work. Check out God's plan for the world. And if you have any wisdom and any sensibility at all, you will step back and say, wow, you know what? That's a great plan for mankind. But it isn't just that David challenges us to trust the Lord and check Him out. He exhorts us to fear the Lord in verse 9. All one-syllable words. Very simple, but profound thought. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. In fact, He even offers for them to come to Him to learn how to do that in the right way. In verse 11, He says, Come, ye children, hearken unto Me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Listen, there's always been a right way and a wrong way to fear the Lord. Not, not just now, then as well. David says, hey, come to me. I'll, I'll teach you the right way to fear the Lord. There's a right way and a healthy way to fear God. And there are some unhealthy ways to fear God. Listen, by, the Bible 24 times directly says, quote, fear Him, referring to God. In fact, verse 9 links fear of Him with having provision in life. So why would he do that? Because when someone doesn't have a healthy fear of God in their life, they will do things that ultimately not only complicate, but very often destroy themselves. The Bible directly says, quote, fear God ten times. Both the Old Testament and New Testament command us to do so. In fact, when Solomon, who looked at his life and he believed in God, but had lived in a way that had really complicated his life and ruined a lot of things around him. And as he finished observing what had happened in the world around him, and he concluded this, fear God. Keep His commandments for 
This is the whole duty of man. Directly, 30 times, the Bible speaks about the fear of the Lord as a positive thing. Listen, the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge are both in some way linked with a healthy fear of God. 32 times the Bible says, quote, fear the Lord. And it links it in some way with something good to have a healthy fear of our Creator. God promises to bless those who fear Him in Psalm 115.11. He promises to prolong the days of those who fear Him in Proverbs 10.27. In fact, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, it says that churches were multiplied who were, quote, walking in the fear of the Lord. If you're getting the idea that if anybody ever says to you, you don't need to fear the Lord now that we're living under grace, if you ever have anybody say that, you need to have a red flag that goes off, that's bad advice. But if you're getting the idea that there are both healthy and unhealthy ways to fear the Lord, you're getting the right idea. And so in the simplest terms possible, All one-syllable words, God through David exhorts believers to have a healthy fear of God. Let me ask you this morning, do you have a healthy fear of God? Let me ask you this morning, do you know the difference in healthy fear of God and unhealthy fear of God? It's a good question. We don't have weeks to discuss it, but I do want to mention a few things. Please, if you would first go in your Bible to Jude, next to the last book of the New Testament. And there is, of course, only one chapter in that book. Just talking about some applications and observations of having a healthy fear of God. Here's number one. People with a healthy fear of God recognize their own sinfulness and they choose to repent and receive Jesus Christ. (laughs) People with a healthy fear of God recognize their own sinfulness, and they choose to repent and receive Jesus as Savior. Jude, verse 22, says that some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You see, our Creator is both compassionate as well as a God who has holy justice and judgment and is to be feared. Now, some people are more motivated to come to Christ upon learning of His compassion for them. Others are more moved to come to Jesus Christ when they learn that they are accountable for themselves and that in judgment they will give an account and that hell is a real place for anybody who dies in their sins. Listen, All people who come to Jesus Christ must first humble themselves as a guilty sinner. Whether people come to Christ because He's compassionate or whether they come to Him for fear of hell, either way, that process begins with them becoming aware of their sinfulness in God's sight. For any parent or grandparent here, it's important you understand that any child who is not mature enough to be aware of the fact that their sins offend God, they're not yet ready to be saved. 
Man defines sin a lot of different ways, but our Creator defines sin as breaking any one of His commandments. Understand, you do not have to break all the laws of man to end up in jail. You just need to break one. And when it comes to faring poorly on Judgment Day and ending up in hell and dying in your sins, you don't have to break all of God's commandments. All you need to do is break one. It was God Himself who said, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. It was God Himself who said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It was God Himself who said, Thou shalt not steal. It was God Himself who said, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It was God Himself who said, Thou shalt not covet. Listen, God has established some moral absolutes, and whenever anyone breaks them, it's sin. We're all guilty. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. There are none righteous, no, not one, compared to the righteousness of God. All we like sheep have gone astray, but thank God the Lord hath laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. Anyone, hear me when I say this, who stops Christ's gospel at the love of God and leaves off our sins separating us from God are leading people astray. Though the plan of salvation for everyone begins at our own sinfulness when compared to God's righteousness, different aspects of God's character and future motivate people differently. Most people get saved from their sins because they have a healthy fear of God. They don't want to go to hell. By the way, that's why I got saved. Probably the majority of people here that's how you got saved. By the way, it's healthy to fear jumping off a tall building. It's healthy to fear hell and judgment. If you haven't been born again, it's a healthy fear when you fear dying. It's a healthy fear when you fear giving account of yourself to a thrice holy creator. That's a healthy fear. And so this morning, I stand here first to make you aware that God's moral commandments have not changed. And if you've never been saved, never yet been born again, never yet humbly called upon Christ, know that your sins have separated you from God. But this morning, if you want to come to Christ because you know He's compassionate, that's a good reason to come. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. The compassion of Jesus Christ is for you. God loves you. This morning, if you're aware that your sins have separated from God, understand, you can come to Jesus Christ this morning with a healthy fear of going to hell. <laughs> a healthy fear of the judgment. And Jesus Christ is perfectly content for you to come to Him out of fear of hell as He is for you to come to Him because He's a compassionate Savior. In fact, if you're here and that's you in a few moments, we'll have an invitation and we will invite you to come to Jesus Christ. And someone would help you see what the Scriptures say to you. But a healthy fear of God isn't just about recognizing our own sinfulness. So we turn to Jesus for salvation. Go in your Bible, please, secondly, to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. 
healthy fear of God begins with an awareness of your sinfulness to turn to Jesus for salvation. Here's number two. A healthy fear of God includes fearing God more than we fear man. A healthy fear of God includes fearing God more than we fear man. Proverbs 29, 25, notice what it says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You see, in the book of God's wisdom, we're taught to fear that the fear of man is a snare. A snare's trapped, careless animals. See, the product of fearing man is in direct contrast to the product of a healthy fear of God. We read Psalm 34.9, it said there's no want to them that fear the Lord. The fear of man brings a snare. Psalm 115.11 says that God is a help and shield to those who fear Him. The fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs 10.27 says, we fear the Lord prolongeth our days. The fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of man brings a snare. You see, the Bible makes a huge contrast in the damage produced by fearing man too much and the good things that are produced from a healthy fear of God. All of us have some kind of fear of man. And it might be a little bit of that is okay, or there'd be a lot more weirdness everywhere than there already is. All of us have some fear of what people will think of us. What would they think of us if they, quote, knew we believed the Bible? What would they think of us if they knew we believe that salvation is only through Jesus Christ and that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved? What would they think of us if they knew what we thought about morality? That prior to marriage, we're supposed to be morally pure, and after marriage, we're supposed to be morally exclusive. That if you're born a boy, you're a boy. If you're born a girl, you're a girl. See, see, there is a kind of fear of man that causes all of us to sometimes stay silent. It's not that all fear of man is bad, but it is always bad to fear man more than we fear God. <laughs> Most everyone here is aware that back in September of 2001, the Twin Towers of New York City and the Pentagon in Washington were attacked by Islamic terrorists using airplanes as bombs. At that time, most people in America were on high alert. In fact, sadly, some of that high alert brought out some unnecessary and wrongful ugliness toward people groups. But most everyone at that time, uh, they were well aware that Islamic terrorists would often yell, Allah Akbar, before suicidal attacks, and in English, that means God is great. On January 1st of 2002, so just a couple of months after 9-11, a man named Jerry Stevens, not our Jerry, Jerry Stevens in Florida, not our Jerry, he would regularly take his small plane up and write messages in the sky and smoke from his plane, and he felt like because of the new year that he was going to put an encouraging message in the clouds, and about two miles above Boca Raton, Florida, he wrote in his airplane, God is great. It's visible for miles. But because of the high alert, 
and ignorance of the general public. A lot of residents called the police. Some called the newspaper. They were afraid that this was all part of a terrorist plot. Isn't it interesting to us to see how so many people would respond to what Jerry thought would be an encouraging message? And that they feared terrorists, but they continued to have very little fear of God. Because nothing changed in the way they behaved. Do you have a healthy fear or unhealthy fear of man and God? Listen, if you have a healthy fear of God, then you will fear God more than you fear man. Listen, I get it. Few, if any of us, will ever reach where the psalmist was when he said in Psalm 56, 4, in God I have put my trust, I will not fear what flesh can do to me. I, I'm not there yet. I can't tell you that I ever stand here and say, wow, you know what? I'm never afraid of what someone will think about what I said. But I do say this, a healthy fear of God includes fearing God more than we fear man. Fearing God more than we fear man affects our choices. It affects who we're most worried about offending. It affects who we're most concerned about pleasing. Do you have a healthy or unhealthy fear of man and God? See, recognizing you have too much fear of man is the beginning step to fixing the problem. But fearing God more than we fear man is not all there is to having a healthy fear of God. Uh, thirdly, this morning, go back a few pages to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Here's number three this morning. A healthy fear of God affects our affections and our behavior. A healthy fear of God affects our affections and behavior. Listen, if you say you fear God and it does not affect your affections, what you love and hate, like and dislike, if it doesn't affect your behavior, you don't fear God. Notice what the wise man said here in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy in the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. <laughs> now, I do not believe it is ever acceptable for a Christian to hate anyone but the devil. We are taught to love our enemies. We are taught to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ like Christ loved us. We're taught to love our family and our friends. I believe any hatred in our heart towards someone is sinful hatred, and I believe we need to be actively trying to get that out of our heart instead of just excusing it and calling it something else. On the other hand, though we shouldn't hate anyone, there are some things we should hate. And a healthy fear of God includes those. Notice he said, if we have a healthy fear of God, we'll hate evil, we will hate pride, we'll hate arrogancy, we'll hate the evil way. And said we will hate a froward mouth, and froward is just a big word that means rebellious. Listen, at times, I get it, a healthy fear of God does leave us shaking in our boots at the awesome power of God in the world and what it means to have Him as the judge of the universe. And, but a healthy fear of God is much more than that. 
And so I don't like that definition of the fear of the Lord. I didn't write it. I just spoke it and you followed along, I hope, in the copy of the Word of God you hold in your hand. Listen, those who believe God, love God, and follow God should have a healthy fear which will cause us to love what God loves and hate what He hates. Listen, you and I, if you're a believer here today, we ought to be active opponents of evil, pride, arrogancy, and a rebellious mouth in our world and in our own life. Listen, we shouldn't just hate the evil aborting a human baby from the womb of its mother. We should hate any evil thoughts that come into our own mind, and even more so, any behavior that we act on. Listen, we shouldn't just hate the pride and arrogance of the rich and famous. We should hate the pride and arrogance in ourselves. We shouldn't just hate the rebellious mouths of the mainstream media, the educational elite, and leftists trying to destroy our country. Listen, we should hate rebellious words that come out of our own mouths. And those who have a healthy fear of God look at the issues of life like He looks at them. He's written to us all about it. Look at chapter 14, just a few pages up, in verse 27. You see, a healthy fear of God motivates us to get away from sin, sinful things. In Proverbs 14, 27, it says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Listen, if you have a healthy fear of God, you see where your sinfulness leads. Sinfulness in every case leads to death of some sort, whether it is a second death, a spiritual death in hell. If you die in your sins to death of a relationship, death of potential, death of all sorts of things, and when you have a healthy fear of God, you see where that's leading and you get out of it. Turn up a few more pages to chapter 16. We'll read the reason that our culture is such a mess. Because a healthy fear of God motivates believers and unbelievers to repentance. Proverbs 16.6, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Notice it is not just by mercy, iniquity is purged. Notice it is not just by truth, iniquity is purged. It's both together. Notice that a healthy fear of God, that is what moves men to depart from evil. That's what moves people to repent. Listen, America's problem began and continues first as a problem in American pulpits and American churches. Believers and unbelievers alike have no healthy fear of God. You see, there is no healthy fear of God because spiritual leaders in our world have misrepresented His character as being some gooey old man who really has very little he considers wrong other than murder and bullying. I just had a man the other day I was in a conversation with and he was lamenting uh, a lot of the things going on in our country. And he said, what do you think happened? He was completely shocked at my answer. I said, you know, I, I think it's a failure that began in our churches. 
And spiritual leaders failed to stand and define what God says is right and wrong. And spiritual leaders blurred the lines. They were so much more interested in making sure that no one didn't not like God because He's holy and just. And they so made sure that everybody knew that God loved them that they failed to help people understand that God is just and God is holy and God is righteous. And God does have some lines in the sand. I do not personally believe nations can be Christian. Only people can be Christian. But America was a better place and when Christians had more influence because we made sure people feared God. Let me ask you, are you an active opponent of your own evil ways? As much as you are an active opponent of the evil in our culture. It's part of a healthy fear of God. Are you an active an opponent of your own pride as you are what you consider to be the arrogancy of others? That's part of a healthy fear of God. But lastly, this morning, is not just a healthy fear of God that impacts our affections and our behavior. Go lastly, please, to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, all the way near the end of the New Testament. Do you have a healthy fear of God this morning? Maybe no one ever told you before you need to have a healthy fear of God. Or maybe that's all you've been taught is to fear God. And that's not a healthy fear of God either. Because number four, a healthy fear of God is no longer the motivation of mature believers. Love for God rather than fear motivates you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is... No fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Those who say fear of God is an Old Testament motive, and the love of God is a New Testament motive, are not rightly representing what we've been taught. (laughs) Listen, Old Testament believers were taught to love God too. In fact, when Jesus was asked the greatest commandment of the Old Testament, he said this, I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Uh, By the way, New Testament believers are taught to fear God. The fact of the matter is, to much of American society and many American Christians, they don't want anybody to talk about fearing God. People are hurt by that. Fact of the matter is, many American spiritual leaders would rather have a crowd than they would rather have people hear the truth. Listen, it is to the detriment of those who listen to spiritual leaders who present God as something other than He is. That is idolatry. You can make your children or a congregation love a God that is not the God of the Bible because you have not put Him forth accurately. That's idolatry. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 10, 28, fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He didn't say that to the world, He said to His disciples. Paul told believers in 2 Corinthians 7, he said, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Peter told believers in 1 Peter 2.17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Listen, 
You and I as New Testament believers in Jesus, we have a command to fear God as well. We are supposed to have a healthy fear of God. A fear that is a kind of fear that when we are weak or when we're young or when we're new to the faith, it motivates us not to do what we're not supposed to do. But if you're here today and you've been saved any length of time and you still do what you do out of fear of God, you're really missing the blessing of New Testament Christianity. Because the more we love God, the more we get out of our life that does not please God, and the less reason we have to fear Him. In fact, this morning, just to be honest with you, uh, very little, if anything, that I do, do I do because I'm afraid of what God will do if I don't do it. I don't know of anything like that. But there are a lot of things in my life I don't do because I know if I chose to do them after God has taught me what He's taught me, I have good reason to fear God. You're here as a Christian. What is motivating you to do what you do? Are you still in elementary school Christianity where you're still just doing everything you do because you're afraid of God? Okay, I mean, it's okay. Start out there. You're a child. You're a teenager. You're new to the faith. You're a prodigal that just came home. Fine, start there. But are your your motives for what you do, are they becoming increasingly and hopefully eventually exclusively? I love the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you told God you loved Him? Did you do that this morning? Do that this week? This month? How'd you like to hang out with somebody you died for 24-7 and they literally never look up and say, I love you, Lord? There's something wrong. Yeah, perfect love does cast out all fear. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Healthy fear? Unhealthy fear. We're supposed to fear God, amen? You quietly stand.